In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I want to begin this evening by just simply uh, saying that we're going to focus on the Second Corinthians passage. And I celebrated and preached twice this morning at All Saints because Father Scott uh, is away. And it's one thing to preach about money at someone else's church, about giving. It's something else to do it at your own church. And so this is where the lectionary has led us. I'm not preaching this because of any financial uh, lack in this parish necessarily, but here in 2 Corinthians, we are given an opportunity to, to reflect with the Apostle Paul on what it means to, to give and to give generously. And certainly that doesn't mean just financial, but it, it, it doesn't exclude financial giving. In fact, that's what the context is talking about. But life is full, as we know, of standards and expectations that we should or even must live up to. For example, doing our jobs well is evidenced by positive performance reviews. Right? We, we get a job, we agree with a company to the, the job description, and then we are expected, and often, rightly so, held to those expectations. And so we should do those expectations well, especially if we want to keep that job or get a raise or even maybe get a, a promotion. And so we, we don't necessarily set those expectations and standard of the job. They're set for us. But in agreeing to work there, we agree to do that. You know, Brendan's working at Knott's this summer, and he's park services, which really means trash, sweeping up the trash, which is a great summer job, if you ask me. But I think when he first got that job, I said, look, it might just be sweeping up the trash, but do it well, right? Sweep the trash well. People are watching. So again, that's his job, and so his job is to do that well. And so there's those expectations. But Maybe going a little further, there's other expectations and standards. For example, like going to your annual physical. I don't know if all of you do that. I, I go to an annual physical, and you hope when you go that your blood pressure is within the right range. You hope when you go, if they run blood tests, that the results come back right, right, that your cholesterol isn't too high or something like that. And, of course, there's always the dreaded moment of getting on the scales where you hope that you're not going to give the doctor something to be concerned about. And again, those standards, though I can't really still to this day really understand the two numbers of blood pressure and, and all, but I trust that they've been set, and Sarah's laughing at me, I, I trust they've been set by scientific fact and from my age and height and weight and all those things that I'm falling within those bounds. And so those expectations are on me, whether or not I like them or not. If I, if I go and they run a blood test like they did a number of years ago and the doctor has to say, you know, your, your blood, your cholesterol is borderline. You know, and I said, well, I don't know. I eat a bowl of ice cream every day. I doubt if there's any correlation there, but, you know, you know, and this was back when I had ice cream every day and I cut it out and sure enough, my cholesterol went down coincidentally. And so, uh, you know, I don't have to like those things, but if I'm going to, you know, try to live a healthy life, then I'm going to meet those expectations. Then there's maybe more self-imposed uh, expectations and standards for our own life, if you will. For example, you might set the goal of exercising three days a week, and then every now and then you have to ask yourself, am I doing it? Have I done it? Why not? Or if you say, I'm going to read that book, or a friend recommends a book, and you say, I'm going to commit to reading that book, you know, and then you, at some point you should say, have I read the book? Did I read the book? Why am I reading the book, right? So again, these aren't things that the world's going to stop if it doesn't happen, but yet we set those standards for ourselves. 
And then finally, there's just biblical standards and expectations. Am I honoring my mother and my father? Am I coveting something that my neighbor has, for example? Right? And so, so we're surrounded every day, all the time, by expectations and standards, some of which we set and impose upon ourselves, and many of them which we don't set and impose, but do our best to follow some better than others, but that's the world we live in. Everything from getting in your car and driving down the road at set speed limits, right, or at least within a reasonable range of said, uh, set speed limit, to again, you know, paying your taxes by April 15th, with which most of us would be happy not to do if given the opportunity. So we come to this Reading from 2 Corinthians today, and, and our lectionary has shaved off the first seven verses, so let me quickly bring you up to speed about what those verses say, because, uh, or the first six verses. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians about collecting money. He's there visiting, and he's talking about the need to collect money, um, or someone's going to come by and collect money, and this was a common practice in the early church. Right, the disciples like Peter and Paul, as they would travel around, they were collecting money for different churches, and then they would carry that money to the churches that had the greatest need. And so the context here is that this is a collection. And in verses 1 through 5, Paul actually holds up the Macedonians as a great example of people who are giving above and beyond what they're able to do. Matter of fact, verses 1 through 5 tell us that the Macedonians were undergoing persecution they really didn't have the financial resources, but comparatively speaking, they went above and beyond what was accepted, or what was expected, rather, of them. Now, as I thought about this this week as a pastor, I thought this might not be the best way to ever admonish your parish to give, right? To look down the road to the church that's building the bigger building and say, why can't you people like, be like those people down at Grace Church? Clearly, they're giving better than you are because, you know, they have better things. But that's not what Paul is doing by pointing out the Macedonians. He's just pointing out the fact that, look, these people who really don't have the means are giving above those means. So first, he establishes this example of the Macedonians. They were generous despite persecution and despite their desperate financial straits. And then in verse 7, where our reading picks up tonight, he turns now to some principles about giving, and it's the Bible, so they're good principles, and we should hear them. And so he begins, uh, as you excel in everything, which immediately surprises you if you've actually read First and Second Corinthians, right? Paul's saying to the Corinthians, you excel in everything, and you're like, but do they? <laughs> like, I've read First Corinthians, they were some pretty bad people. I mean, no church is perfect, but that church had some serious problems going on, right? I mean... Uh, but apparently over time, they've been correcting some of those wrongs. And so Paul is able to say to them, as you excel in everything. And then he gives some examples of where they're excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge. The ESV says in all earnestness. I don't know. I think that's just zeal, right? In zeal and in our love, see that you excel in this act of grace also. And this act of grace is generous giving. So by using the word grace, by calling giving a grace here, um, Paul is making it clear that generosity stands alongside faith, speech, knowledge, zeal, and love as an expression of God's goodness working in humankind, in his church. Right? So it's not like, look, 
I wrote to you this other letter, remember that? And I told you how important love was, that it's the greatest, it's the thing that doesn't go away. I still maintain that, but if you could get your giving a close second, that would be good. No, Paul says generous giving is right up there with love. It is right up there with faith, right? I mean, what, what is more important than our faith, right? The faith that we have, the expression of our faith, the depth of our faith, and, and believing and, and placing it in the work of Jesus Christ. Just think about the gospel reading tonight where we had the benefit of hearing two amazing stories of faith, right? The Jairus comes and says, I know that if I can just get Jesus to come to my house, he'll heal my daughter. And then this woman who in the midst of that story of faith says, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed of this lifelong affliction. And then think about the naysayers in that story about Jairus. Don't keep coming, she's dead, right? And then it gets worse because Jesus does keep going. And when he gets there, they're like, why did you bother coming? You really don't want to go in there, she's dead. And he says, no, she's just sleeping. And what do they do? They laugh at him. And so Jesus kind of says, I mean, this is my interpretation. They're laughing at Jesus. And I feel like he just kind of goes, okay, I'm going to set you right over here. That I'm going to take you people that believe, and we're going to go in here and see something amazing together, right? He doesn't let those people come into the room. He takes the people of faith, right? So, wow, I mean, and then holding up faith is the example to us as we read those stories, right? So as we hear that, we think, yes, faith, that's important. Love, yeah, love the Lord your God with all your heart and, and, and mind, and, and love your neighbors yourself. And then now in chapter 8, and, and generous giving, don't forget about that. And it's like, whoa, okay, all right, Paul, Faith, I get. Love, I get. Zeal, knowledge, sure. But giving, really, you're going to elevate that to be one of these high virtues? The answer is yes, exactly. That's what Paul is doing. He's calling it a grace. So he's, he's putting it on the same par. So immediately, we're now talking about giving. And again, not just of money, but certainly that, but of our time and talents as well. We're talking about this in Paul's terms now as right up there with the essentials of the faith, like faith and like love. It's not a secondary or tertiary issue. This is right there at the top of Paul's list. He wants the Corinthians to excel in everything, including being like the Macedonians. But in verse 8, Paul says, but look, I want this to be a natural fruit of your spiritual growth. I'm not going to command it. I want this to be natural for you. Right? He says to them, I say this not as a command but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine, right? So I know the Macedonians' love is genuine because of what they're doing, so I'm not going to command you to give. I want you to give. And so again, as you grow, as you're spiritually formed and you grow into holiness, I want you to see generous giving as part of that growth. John Chrysostom in the 4th century wrote, quote, the secret of the Macedonians' zeal was that first, they gave themselves to the Lord. Right? Chrysostom saying the first thing the Macedonians did, they gave themselves to God, and from that grew this generous giving. The, another church father named Ambrosiaster, which I love that name, but Ambrosiaster wrote, quote, by giving themselves to God first and then to their fellow believers, the Macedonians demonstrated their sincere desire to be perfect, to be holy. Right, so I'm not going to command you to give. I mean, giving is right up there with faith and love and knowledge and zeal. I'm not going to command that, though. I want it to be a natural outgrowth of your own imitation and conformity to Jesus Christ. 
which then provides Paul the great transition to say, oh, speaking of Jesus, <laughs> right? And it's always, I think, a little, um, I don't know, questionable to use Jesus as the example, right? Have you ever, you ever heard someone say, yeah, but Jesus turned his other cheek. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm not Jesus. And that guy cut me off, <laughs> you know? So Jesus might do something, but I'm going to do a different thing than Jesus does, right? So holding up Jesus' the example is always the right thing to do. It just seems to be the loaded example because like he's Jesus. But Paul says, look, as you grow into holiness, as you become like Jesus, remember for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Right? So if the Macedonian's example maybe isn't persuasive enough, think about what Jesus has done for you. Kind of the man who had everything gave it all up. Why? So that you could have everything. And the implication there would be, and from your everything, you now give in the same way as Jesus. Right, so again, this isn't Paul saying, can't you just be like the Macedonians or like, you know, think about Jesus, what would Jesus do, right? No, instead he's saying like, look, the Macedonians are doing something amazing. Giving is this great virtue, this great grace that you need to practice. I'm not gonna command you to do it. I want that to be the natural growth of you becoming like Jesus. So you should do this because Jesus did it. As you imitate him, then you will give generously. And then in verse 12, though, I love the way that Paul kind of ends his teaching. He says, look, I don't want you to give except out of the means that you have to give. Quote, not according to what we do not have. So Paul is contextualizing all this. He's saying, inasmuch as you have things, you should give out of what you have. Right? No, no rector, no bishop wants people to borrow against their house in order to support the church, right? I mean, if, if we were in dire financial straits, whatever that would look like for us as a parish, we would never expect people to be going into personal debt to somehow save this local parish. That wouldn't make any sense. Instead, God is calling us to give, and he's calling us to do it in a way that's generous and an imitation of, of early Christians and of Jesus, and he doesn't command it of us, but he expects it to be the fruit of our spiritual growth, and then it's supposed to be proportionate to what we have. You know, the question there becomes, though, what do we have? What do you have? What do I have? What does that proportion look like? You know, I've heard, well, let me, let me start by saying oftentimes when I gather with other clergy if, if, if the issue of giving comes up, and, and, it, and it doesn't come up much, um, but sometimes it'll just come up and someone will sometimes look at me and say, that must be a real challenge for you at Epiphany with all those college students. So, sorry, guys. And, you know. and I look at them and I say, you know, I, I think more than once my, our treasurer, so I, I don't know who gives here and, 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 and what you give. I'm, I'm blissfully ignorant of that, and that's my goal is to always be that way. But, but there is someone who does know, and, and that is Elena, who's our treasurer and parish administrator. More than once, I mean, Elena has said, when it comes to giving, the students probably give proportionately more generously. Again, proportionately more generously. So I don't know if that's true. I don't see why it wouldn't be true um, of, of the students in our parish. But again, it's, it's not about the amount, like who's giving the most, right? Like, oh, I'm sorry you have this parish with young people in it. That must be really hard for you financially. I'm like, well, 
I think those young people are really well-discipled givers, along with everyone else in the parish. And so, again, it's that giving not by what we don't have, but out of what we do have. So you need to think, I need to think, we need to spend time thinking about what do we have. And again, not just finances, but what time and talents do we have? And I, we, are, we are all giving of that, I realize that. This is not an appeal for you to do more. That's not what this is. This is, this is an opportunity for us to, to think with Paul about what generous giving looks like. But, but you know, I, I think like my, I joke, you've heard this before, my besetting sin is my books. And it's kind of funny given the fact that Timothy carried some books in from the car and was just joking. Like, well, I didn't want to leave them in the car. They would get hot. You know, like <laughs> books are our pets. We don't want them to get harmed, you know. And, and you know, so... I, I, I buy a lot of books, and uh, I, I'm given a lot of books, and, and I try to be generous. If someone needs to borrow books, I, I loan them my books. I've been burned by that before, but it hasn't turned me off. Uh, there might be certain books, depending on who asks. I loaned Timothy a couple of books from 1845 the other day. I might not loan everyone those same books, but the point is, is even in that area, am I willing to give generously? Right? Much less, like, how do I use my home? How do I use my cars? How do I use what God has given me? So my, uh, my encouragement to all of us is that we kind of constant, this isn't like, okay, this week stop and think about this, but constantly think about Paul's teaching here and the way that giving is supposed to be such a natural grace of our spiritual life. It's supposed to be part of the way in which we imitate Jesus. And then we just always have to ask ourselves, great, am I doing that? God, show me the blind spots. Show me where I'm not being a generous giver. Show me where my faith outstrips my giving. Show me where my zeal outstrips my giving. Show me where my knowledge and my love outstrip my giving, because that's not the way it's supposed to be, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So again, take the time to do that. Ask God to show you the ways in which you may be blind to needs around you that you could be poised to meet out of what you already have. And let's ask the Lord to make us all generous givers. And mostly let's do it not because we're commanded, because in fact we're not commanded to do it, but because we desire to do it because of the example of Christians who have gone before us and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.